Coming up, a Sad Styles production. Hey everyone, it's Mikey Aaronworth, host of the Sign Off Podcast, and this week we're coming back with yet another classic revisit as we continue on these slower summer months. This is an episode that I actually think may be our most underrated episode, uh, maybe even our most underappreciated episode as well. For some reason, it kind of flew under the radar, even though I personally think it has some of the best content that we've ever put out on this podcast. We interviewed Chris King on October 28th, 2021, episode 32 of this podcast. Chris King, you'll know him, he was an NHLer, spent a lot of time on the ice but now he works as the senior vice president of hockey operations in NHL's central office in Toronto. Now, if that doesn't sound too familiar to you, then maybe this will. It's the war room. Every time there's a call that is questioned on the ice and they say they're going to Toronto, Chris King is typically there overseeing the decisions that are made. Now, I know a lot of you think that you have a lot of things that you may disagree with the war room on, uh, but what better way to get some insight into how these decisions are made than by sitting down one-on-one with Chris King, just like we did in this episode. I just wanted to say before it gets started. There is a mention of a giveaway from an iTunes review in this one, obviously because this is an older episode back from 2021 that no longer applies. But hey, if you still want to leave a review for the podcast, feel free to do so. No one's stopping you. You can go over to iTunes or Spotify and let us know what you think. Five stars, preferably. So I'm going to get out of my own way here and let the episode roll. Let us know your thoughts. Sign off pod at framework.com or just happy listening and we'll see you guys next week. Hello and welcome. My name is Mikey Aaronworth signing on to the sign off a framework podcast for yet another week. It is the podcast where we talk about all the stories you didn't know you wished you knew about the world of sports and sports marketing. I'm joined in studio uh, by two guests this time, one of which is is the lovely here as always, Brian Aaronworth, my personal Vanna White, Brian Aaronworth, president of Framework. Thank you once again for joining us. Uh, our next guest, if you don't recognize him, um, well, okay, most weeks when we have a player on the podcast, uh, we say ex NHLer, but in this case, that wouldn't be correct because beyond his playing days, he'd remain with the league in a very significant capacity. He played 14 seasons in the NHL for teams like the Red Wings, Rangers, Maple Leafs, and captained the Winnipeg Jets before retiring in 2001 and taking up an off-ice job with the NHL. He current He's currently the Senior Vice President of Hockey Operations in the NHL's Toronto office and can be found reminiscing about his wars on the ice in the now-famous war room during NHL games. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris King. Thanks for joining us. Well, that was pretty impressive. <laughs> very impressive. You yeah. got lovely and I just got, you know, yeah, I work well, I work for a living. You know? <laughs> Every week he gives me another different kind of uh, introduction, I which is to, always embarrassing. We, we sit here with a little bit of preamble and uh, and and sometimes you're, you know, you take a little bit to come out of your shell. And I figure if I if I poke you a little bit, it's going to get the best part of your personality. Don't kid yourself, Mike. He still signs your paychecks. <laughs> yeah, he's got to. Someone has to, right? It's got to be him. It's got to be him. And so if he tells me you got to change the introductions. Guess yeah. what's happening? I'm yeah, changing the introductions. Funny, yeah. Lovely right. works for me. I like that. Yeah. Lovely. Well, yeah. the lovely, lovely Chris King is yeah. joining us in studio. Yeah. Now Thanks we so know much. we're lying, right? This is this is uh, one of the podcasts I think I've been most interested to record because I'm fascinated by the role that that you have right, right. now with the NHL. And we will get into the specifics, uh, not only with your current job, but the responsibilities leading up to it as well. Um, anytime you hear something like the war room, that's going to be interested to our listeners. And uh, our listeners, uh, as I mentioned earlier in, in the intro, are more interested in the off-ice stories right. uh, as opposed to what happened on the ice. But I think that your on-ice playing days informed quite a, lit, a, a, uh, quite a bit about how you've ended up maintaining your career post-NHL uh, while you were playing on the ice. So let's get into that a little bit. Um, I want to talk about some of the character building moments in your career that may have led to the type of, of, of work you are with the NHL now and why you have so much trusted responsibility there. Um, in terms of you playing hockey, even pre-NHL, was leadership always a key tenant uh, uh, in, in your playing style? Was that always something that you felt like you needed to bring to to the ice? Well, I think it goes well back before that. I grew up in Horn Payne, a little okay. town of 800 people in Northern Ontario. My dad was a railroader, worked really hard, uh, you know, to, to, to give my two brothers and my sister a pretty good life in a small town. And, and uh, believe it or not, I, I always look back on kind of that key time in someone's life when things kind of set your path for what's next. Sure. And I was eight years old and Daryl Sittler, I, who I know is a good friend of this group, of course, yep. came to Horn Payne for our hockey banquet. Uh, my dad uh, called up uh, Ernie Lewis, who was the dentist for the Leafs at the time, okay. knowing that Ernie and Daryl were big outdoorsmen. And uh, Daryl agreed to come up and do a fly-in trip and do a hockey banquet in 
in Horn Payne. And as a young eight-year-old watching two TV channels, one CBC and one CBC French, you saw Daryl Sittler every Saturday a night. And, yeah. and, and he was, to me, he was the greatest player. That was my team. And then to actually meet him, uh, kind of said, this is what I really want to do. I want to play for the same team Daryl Sittler did. And again, I'm an eight-year-old. Sure. What do I know, sure. right? Mm-hmm. Playing in an outdoor uh, rink in, in Northern Ontario. But just to see how he was with everybody and, and uh, the time he spent with everybody. And I actually got to do a little bit of the fishing trip with him. It always remained in my mind that this guy was just so down to earth and such a great, for being this giant of a person on Saturday yeah. night on CBC it kind of drove me the rest of the way as I got older. We moved to Gravenhurst in the Muskokas when I was 13, started to play in a little bit, I'm going to say a bigger town, but 3,500. Sure, sure. But uh, that was kind of what drove me. I wanted to be a Leaf my whole life. So uh, was, and, was it an element almost of of watching TV and seeing these guys, yeah. your, your quote-unquote heroes while you're watching yeah. them play, and almost believing that they are not human because they're on TV, and you see someone like Daryl Sittler who yeah. comes in and is so grounded and so yeah. human right. that it almost gave you a sense that this is possible, this is something that I, as just a kid in Canada, can do? Well, and I kept telling everybody around me as I got older, and, and, and I, I, listen, I had... I had some talent, believe it or not. For those that were looking at the back of my hockey card, they say, oh, I know where his talent was. It was in these things here. But I, I, I used to score a lot, believe it or not, when I was younger. I, I, I think I still have the record for Junior C in, in, uh, in Ontario for goals and points by a, by a 16-year-old. My centerman was 21 and had twins. Oh, wow. You know? So <laughs> I, uh, I got drafted by Peterborough out of, out of Junior C, out of yep. my small town, and, and got a chance to play for Dick Todd in, in a great franchise that taught me how to play the game hooked up with uh, Roger Nielsen through his hockey school at that time and you know Roger got a job in the NHL and the rest is history yeah but it wasn't I wasn't I wasn't coming to the league and scoring 25 and 30 goals but as to your original question I knew what I could do and I knew that uh, bringing leadership to any team gave somebody a chance to to play the game yeah and uh, uh, that's where I think my strengths were and I used those strengths at every level I played at when it was junior and then in the teams assistant captain a lot of teams and as you said the highlight of my career really was when I was named the last captain of the Jets in Winnipeg and uh, tried to kind of build on those things watching the guys around me that did it before Daryl Sittler being the first guy and then Stevie Eiserman, Wendell Clark all the other guys that uh, were before me. You Perfect. Know? You know, I'm I'm just thinking too, and you mentioned because jokingly because you were a tough player out there and and uh, had a few penalty minutes for fights. He was but, a nice uh, way to put it. But <laughs> but what what you also mentioned was I could score goals, and I think back in those days, uh, much more so than how it evolved. You couldn't just be a fighter necessarily. Right. You had to have some skill set. Yeah. I mean, look, Wendell Clark was one of the toughest guys Absolutely. around. But obviously he could score. So you have to have all-round talent yeah. to be able to play in those days. And well, we've we've had, I mean, when Doug Gilmore was on, it was the same thing. I mean, he said, you know, it was all about goal scoring for him. Right. And then uh, the, the famous line, if you can check, you can play. Right. Uh, you know, he had to sort of change his game and, and, and make a new name for himself. And it, it seems like that's the case with a lot of the players coming into it, you know, as, as well as anybody that uh, uh, talent can only get you so far exactly. once you're in, once you're in the big leagues. Now, speaking of that uh, in 1984, you're drafted 80th overall by the Washington capitals, uh, but you wouldn't play in the NHL until 1987. Now what's going through your head as someone who has been drafted and is now working your way through the system. Are you thinking this may be it for me? Are you, are you putting boots to the grindstone? Like you're, you're working even harder than ever now to make sure you secure a spot on your team or what, what are you thinking at this point? You know, it's a great setup for that time in my career where it could have went one of two ways. Right. You know, if it goes the one way, I'm not sitting here with you because I would have been doing nothing that I'm doing now. Right. I've, Very I've, different. I've, exactly. I, I saw my life changing and it was on a, a ride back from Binghamton, New York, when I was playing in the minor leagues with Washington's farm team, who they split with Hartford at the time. And I either went uh, east to the International Hockey League and made $11,000 and fought everybody and right. probably got buried there. Right. Or I decided, you know what? I don't want to do this. So I decided to load the car up and I headed back to Peterborough and I was going to go to university and get my schooling. Okay. Schooling was very important to me and I was a good student at the time. And on the way, uh, Dick Todd, who was a coach in Peterborough, found out that Washington had sent me down. Uh, he had called me and said, what are you doing? And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm done. I can't do this. This isn't 
what I envisioned for me. And he said, listen, let me talk to them. Uh, Washington ended up buying me out. I went back to Peterborough, played overage, had a great year, and uh, at the end of the season signed with Detroit. And that was the start of my pro career. But as you said, some guys get in at 18 now. Right. For me, I was late 21 years old. And I was almost done playing the hockey. Yeah. I, and and I got a chance to go back to Peterborough. They gave me that second chance, and I took full advantage of it. And, uh, you know, 14 years later, I had the career that uh, I never, ever envisioned, you know. You know, we were talking to Gus Bedali a few episodes oh. back, and, and he did something completely opposite. He got to 21 and just decided that it was over, and he didn't make – that decision to do what you did to keep your career alive. He just quit and, and bought into a gas station worked out pretty good for him as well. But, but funny how the two things complete 180 on each one, but it's in all honesty, looking back, it kind of scares me a little bit and it has over, you know, post career because I don't know, had Dick not called on my way back, I might've just said I've had enough and, school and a new job or something else, a new career would have been realistically in my future. But I really wanted to play the game. It's a game I loved and and it motivated me to do everything I possibly could to get a second crack at playing pro. And as things turned out, Neil Smith was a GM at Adirondack. He wanted me to play there. Uh, Detroit had a crazy team that year and I got to play three games and then Roger Nielsen got the head coaching job with the Rangers. I'd been working for him for five years at his hockey school. He signed on a Tuesday, traded for me on a Wednesday because Neil Smith was the GM there. So I had those both guys in my right, corner. Right. And then I got to become a regular NHL player for the Rangers. And I, like I said, 14 years later, I, uh, I was, I had hockey carts. I mean, you know? it's, it's, you know, Gus, as my dad mentioned was, was similar. Uh, and he talks about how, uh, he was very surprised things worked out the way they did because a lot of it was happenstance, you know, someone driving into his garage and recognizing him from his early coaching days or playing days. And there is that sense of fear that's consistent in someone who's telling those stories. But, but I think similar to Gus, I would say the same about you. You know, you talked about how one of the key tenants in your play style was leadership and, and making sure that you're the person in the room that is inspiring other people and getting the best out of other people, regardless of whether you're scoring the most amount of goals. I think that those people just leave a good impression on those around them. And sure, it's possible that you don't get that call and things don't go the right way. But if you hadn't been playing that way in presenting yourself in that way, then absolutely that wouldn't have right. happened. We we lay the groundwork for, I think, the opportunities that come later on in our lives. Uh, not that you need to be taking my advice, nor had you asked for it, but I think you need to credit yourself for being the kind of person that warranted that call right. in the first place. I think right. that goes a long way. Well, I, I really truly believe that you go into different situations, whether you get traded or you sign with a different team, because it those things happen to me on numerous occasions in my 14-year career, I got traded three times and signed as a free agent right. once, but played on five teams and Arizona being the six, but we were really the Jets moving. Right, so right. you have to adapt to either A, who's coaching you, or B, what the team needs at that time. Yeah. But for me, it really didn't change. I knew that I can come in there and offer some leadership, whether it be to uh, veteran players or new guys coming up and doing the hard things, generally as a third and fourth liner, you know, if you score as a first or second liner, you're going back out. And if you don't right. score and, and you're expected to score, you're going back out. Yes. Yeah. But as a third and fourth liner, you've got to earn your ice time somehow. And whether that's in the room, trust me, I, I was raised right. It, being a good person and a good player in the community, both on and off the ice, I think extended my stay in some of the cities that I played in. Yeah. Because not only what you do on the ice, but what you do off the ice is very important to a lot of organizations, especially the Winnipeg Jets, Toronto Maple Leafs. And it should so be, I think yeah. that helped me. And I, I really believe that that uh, was something that I got installed, instilled in me as a youngster from my mom and dad. And, and uh, I truly think that players have to adapt or they don't have a long career. Right. And I looked at every situation that I went in and, and, tried to figure out how I was going to uh, succeed there. And a lot of it all went back to that uh, early Daryl Sittler meeting that yeah. you meet a good person and a good leader that that can kind of pave the way for success. And and that's what I kind of 
thought was really important to my successes. Interesting. Now you mentioned two things there that I want to touch on. One we'll get into in a little bit. You mentioned, you know, as a third, fourth liner, you have to uh, warrant your presence there by being a certain person in the room. And I want to use that to talk eventually about your presence in the war room and and what that means to the people around you. But before we get there, you also mentioned uh, your, another thing that will, will endear you to the team that you're on is your, your efforts off the ice. And you won the King Clancy Award in 1996, I believe, King Clancy Memorial Trophy, uh, which is essentially for leadership, both on but primarily off the ice. And what interests me most about this is uh, you're a person, as you mentioned early on, a lot of people know you for, and you you raised your fists, mm-hmm. right? You are over 2,000 penalty minutes, I think top 55 penalty minutes all time, uh, 53rd, I think, on the list. Uh what what how how help me square this circle how someone who on the ice is is spending that much time in the penalty box and off the ice is spending time building community is that something that's common because I, I know another name on there would be rob ray who right. has won the the king clancy and a similar at three thousand penalty minutes right. over three thousand for for him um do you share any similarities can you can you shed some light as to what goes on in the mentality of someone who is known as an enforcer on the ice and then enforces uh 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 good community off the ice well to me it's it's a personal choice and sometimes i don't think it's a choice and again i can't say it enough i was raised the right way right you know my dad was a hard-working man uh he was a volunteer with minor hockey and he was on the town council my mom was a women's auxiliary at the legion and they were always helping others and as a youngster, you see that all the time and you just think that's the way it's supposed to be. Sure. So when I went to some of these teams, uh, I really felt that that was important. And I knew that, you know, just because you wore skates and in a, in a, in a sweater and played uh, on TV, that uh, there was things that went with that and, and things that you could do right. and do good. And it just was something that my wife, Paula, and I felt very strongly about and use that platform to, uh, to do as much as we could. And it was a great way to raise our children. You know, mm-hmm. Ronald McDonald House has, has been a big part of, of uh, our family. My, my kids, have, since they could walk, served dinners at uh, the Ronald McDonald House in Winnipeg and Arizona and here in Toronto especially. And, and gives them the true understanding that, you know, there are people out there that need help. Yep. And... Uh, also at Ronald McDonald House, kids their age uh, teach you so much. They might I be bet. sick, I bet, but they don't. They don't think they are right. right. And uh, it just, you know what? It, it's just something that uh, our family did as a group, and and it was very important to us. Sometimes as much as what we did on the ice was uh, was what we did off the ice. And the King Clancy was uh, was really exciting for me, for my wife Paula, because we did it as a family. And for my parents, because in a way, it was their award too, because they they taught their son to do things the right way. It was way. the seeds that they planted. You know, yeah. I, I'm I'm thinking too, as you you know, because the question you asked was how you know how how do you be that tough guy on the ice and then that big heart off the ice? Right. And one of the things that I've uh, found out over the years with my uh, friendships with a lot of players, especially you know in the in my era, um, some of the toughest guys on the ice, the guys that you know, like continually fighting, et cetera, the biggest hearts off the ice. Yeah. And I don't think there is that, you, you know, there is no correlation between that. You got a job on the ice, you do your job on right. the ice and what's expected of you. And you might have a temper. You might not want to take a lot of crap on the ice. You do what you need to do on the ice. That doesn't mean no. you don't have that big heart. And, and you know, you look back at some of the guys afterwards and the guys that used to continually fight each other. Yes. Probert and Domi and, you know, those type of guys. Great friends, Eddie Shack. We talked about, oh, yeah. and and um, and um, Bertie Howe. Yeah, how they got, uh, you know, they would fight each other, and and then they meet up afterwards and be best friends. So what you do on the ice is a little different. Is but. is is there something to be said? You know, I I I didn't make it far in hockey at all. So right. I I can only I can only imagine. But is there something to be said about the fact that people who just I mean, heart is a measure of of a person, right? And heart can manifest itself in different ways. It can be working with the the Ronald McDonald House, or it can be standing up for your team and sure. the principles of your team. Is is it just that people who have this characteristic of of heart can apply it to being passionate on the ice in the form of protecting their team and also 
apply it to something like charitable work off the ice. Is is, is there anything to that? Is that well, common? I, I think when you, you mentioned Rob, yeah. and, and I know Rob a little bit. I mean, we shared a lot of those penalty minutes, yeah. you know, <laughs> to tell you the truth. But you look at a guy like Jerome McGinley, mm-hmm. you look at a guy like Shane Doan. I mean, both great players, both, you know, Hall of Famers. I Shane Doan will be a Hall of Famer, in my yeah. opinion. But, you know, a little bit different player, but played that tough game too. Right. Uh, I think for me personally, and some of the guys more so in my era and, and your buddies that you talked about, they were a little bit before me, all came from small town somewhere, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and I really believe that they got a lot of help from a lot of people along the line. And you don't realize it when you're there in the right. journey, but when you're done and you look back, you see, geez, you know, like that was really neat that for sure. my small town rallied behind me. Yeah. I remember when I was in Peterborough, my dad and all of his buddies started out three guys and either my younger brother or my sister. That's how they learned to drive. They drive these three guys to Peterborough or actually they drive them home because yeah. they couldn't drive home. Fair. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they could drive there, but after the game, they couldn't drive home. And then it became two vehicles. Right. You know, so my sister was driving one and my younger brother was driving the other. And there were six guys from Gravenhurst came down every Thursday night to watch the piece. And not so much because it was an idol, because they came to support me. Sure. You know? right. And and it was really important. And and I think in that sense, it's all correlated that, you know, you see it as growing up. For me personally, I've got tons of people that were a big part of my success. And I've moved back to Muskoka now. I right. mean, I live in the city during the season because we're in that damn situation yes. every night, yeah. you know? Yeah. But when I'm done and I go home for July and August and September, I'm fishing with all the guys that I grew up with. Yeah. And I'm seeing all my dad's buddies that uh, were those guys that came to Peterborough every yeah. Thursday night. And to me, that's part of the reason why I was the kind of player that I was. I you know? That. Yeah. Well, you I, know, I, I've said this many times before, but I've been – involved with a number of different athletes in different sports, but primarily hockey. And I've never seen, uh, as a group, hockey players tend to be the most compassionate, the most giving. Um, You know, things are changing with the huge money and all that. But still, I think, and I'm trying to figure out why, and I think the answer really is, I think if you're going to be a hockey player, your parents generally have to be very much involved. You're at the rink at 6 a.m. Right, right. It's not picking up a basketball and going to the corner court and right. running your skills on your own whenever you can. And it's not a shot against basketball players, but hockey is a family sport. You know, talking to Sidney Crosby's parents and, you know, how how they, you know, let him drag his own equipment to the rink right. just to show. Right, you know, right, right. Like a, a funny story. We're in the rink in, in Coal Harbor and I'm standing with Troy Crosby and we're watching some kids come out of the rink and, one kid's mother's carrying the bag and the dad's carrying the sticks. He says, no, that's no good. Yeah. So what do you mean? He says, kids got to be carrying right. their own. They got to learn those things. And so it's, it's all the lessons. It's, that it's you the, from- the Mr. Miyagi karate kid element. Right. It's all those lessons <laughs> that don't have to do with fighting and, and they instill good character into you by the time right. you're right. tested. Right. Yeah. And you know, Brian, just, just to hit on one thing that you said there, and it really stuck with me when you said it is, is when you, when you look at hockey players and hockey players in general, there's no better indication of that tightness and that group and that friendship is when you have alumni events. Yeah. And whether they're big events like our outdoor games or whether they're, you know, a game on a Sunday in a small town where the Leafs are playing the Canadians alumni or you're playing the firemen and the, and the police, yep. you get in that dressing room and it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it fills that void and it reminds you of why you loved those six years or those eight years or those, for me, 14 years that I played the game because I had to trust every one of those guys for us to be successful. Yeah. And you might not like them all. Yeah. But you had to, you had to play with them all and find what worked for that group. And that was, it's hard to explain to people that haven't been in that situation or that environment, but the teams that are successful, the teams that actually can take a group and mold them and do the right things at the right time. And uh, it's a really, really unique kind of situation. Uh, I know it's similar in all sports, but in hockey, I just, I think it's very, very unique. I think so. I don't know that there's a sport out there that relies so heavily on what the equivalent of a third and fourth line would be. Uh, You know, in in the NBA, you have the the sixth man award uh, and that's, that's big. It's one player who comes in who's, but you don't have, you know, the, the 10th man award. And, and often, 
championships are won on that third and fourth line. I mean, that's that's not an overstatement well, I, at I, all. I don't mean to cut you off here, but let's look at recent history. Yeah. I mean, Tampa Bay Lightning lost, for, you know, to Columbus when they had one of their best seasons, one of the best seasons in modern history of points right. in a regular season. Right. They were going to win the cup. Nope. Everybody's pick. They get beat by Columbus, who was bigger, stronger, knew how to beat them. So what do they do? They go trade three first rounders for Barkley Goodrow, uh, Coleman, and they put them with uh, Gord to, to form a third line. And they're like, Barkley Goodrow didn't even get drafted in the NHL. Yeah. He played overage in North Bay, couldn't skate. These guys won them two cups or a big part of it. Yeah. And now they, Barkley Goodrow, who was making league minimum, signs a huge ticket in New York, assistant captain. Another guy, I coached him. His, his sister's my daughter's best friend. So excited for a guy that took the hard way. It, it reminds me a little bit of my career. And then Coleman, you know, bouncing around, couldn't play in Jersey, gets a big ticket in, in Calgary. I mean, that's what teams need is that, yeah. is that character. And you surround the right character with skill, you're going to win most cases. It's a, it's a bunch of puzzle pieces. It and sure the, is. And the, and the GMs that can figure out that, the, how to put those puzzle pieces together are the ones that exactly. are usually most successful. Right. Exactly. Right. Now you 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 talk about that and how how the NHL almost has this ability to treat hard work uh, with 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 a reverence that a lot of other leagues can't. You know, right. finding players who who have been playing overage in other leagues and things like that. In terms of the NHL and their corporate policy. Uh, do they, I mean, obviously you would think that a lot of uh, organizations are going to be looking for people with an MBA or history and some other businesses, and that's who they're going to hire to run their operations. You retired in 2001, it's 2021 right now, and you are the vice president of hockey operations. Um, senior. C- senior vice president. I got of a parking spot closer to the elevator. <laughs> <There you> <laughs> That's all that means. Now, uh, is there an element uh, that that you would potentially credit the NHL with of of looking for those those uh, ex players who wouldn't have necessarily any any experience in business? Uh, you mentioned that you did well in school, but in terms of working in a corporate environment and giving a handout and and right. and allowing for them to prove themselves in that capacity is is that something they commonly do? Well, I think we're doing a lot more now, but for me personally. Look back to retirement. Nobody likes when they retire. No. Because somebody's telling you, you just can't do it anymore. Right. In, in all fairness, in, in 2020, I mean, in uh, 2000, my back was done. Mm-hmm. I had fought too many big guys. Uh, I was staying in the Ritz-Carlton, sleeping on the floor. My back <sighs> was so bad. I had trainers tying my skates. And I'm not making excuses. No. That's just the reality of my end of my 14-year career. Wendell could tell you the same stories. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I used to drive with him from Aurora an hour and a half early so he could get all his needles in his back just so he could practice, Yeah, you know? So it it happens, especially when you play the kind of games that Wendell and I did and others. But Coley Campbell was the boss, hockey operations. He had Mike Murphy, who had just, uh, he had coached with in New York and was my coach with the Leafs. So you talk about uh, coincidences or, or breaks Coley had coached me. He was one of Rogers' guys. Mike Murphy had coached me. He was running with Rogers' guys. I retired midseason when I was with the Hawks. I couldn't really play anymore. I wasn't enjoying myself. My family was back home here in Toronto. I was living by myself in Chicago. My dad always told me, you're going to know when you're done. When, when are you going to, Dad, when am I going to know I'm done? It's when you don't want to go to the rink. Yeah. Right? So I got up one morning. My back was killing me. I hadn't slept. I missed my kids. I'd helped my son, young son study on the phone the night before. Yeah. I just said, this isn't why I played this hard this right, long. Right, right, right. So I went in and saw Mike Smith, who was a GM, and I said, I got to go home. He said, everything okay? I said, no, you know what? I, I think that's it for me. So I asked him if he would buy me out, and he said, here's a dollar. Get lost, right? So I'll pay for your <laughs> flight home. But anyways, Coley was looking for somebody fresh off the ice to yep. come into hockey ops. He was building a team there because our – job was becoming more important at the league level about being involved with the game on the ice. And they had started watching video and stuff. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that, but that was my in to the league. They hired me as a consultant to, because yep. I knew the players, I knew the coaches. I was able to kind of walk into the locker rooms. Coley and Murph had been out of it coaching for a while. So that's how I got my, what I consider this is a dream job. Yeah. I'm, I'm involved in the game that I love playing as a kid, as a pro and now, as an executive, 
uh, I'm still around the game every day. And so, and, sorry, how many years was it after you had retired that you had first started working? Uh, about five months. Five months. So I you, tried you TV right for it. a while, yeah. and, but <laughs> the problem with that, and Cooley will probably see the Steve Coolius. I was on the score for a while, and he drove me to the league office and out of TV. <laughs> that man is a psychopath, and uh, I've never seen a guy more passionate about the Toronto Maple Leafs. But I did some, uh, I believe it was World Cup, and then I did some Leaf playoff. Yeah. And, uh, I found it difficult at the time because you almost had to be a little bit negative when you're like, nobody wants to say, oh, that guy's great. That guy's awesome. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. want a little bit of negativity. And yeah. I just, you know what? You play in the NHL. You're damn good. Sure, right? sure. And I just, I, I was fine in it. I was comfortable with it, but it wasn't kind of for me. Yeah. And uh, thank God Cooley was a, such a royal pain in the ass. He drove me into into hockey ops. So uh, that was my start. I came back that September and Cooley hired me. I worked for, as a consultant for two years and I've been with them uh uh, since really 2000. Yeah. That's my 21st year in league office. So you've got 21 years in league office, but you know, I do want to touch on this cause I'm not sure there's going to be another in for it. You mentioned your on TV persona. Uh, you did have some experience on TV oh, yeah. prior to yeah. this and yeah. not in an NHL capacity. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about what that was? Are you talking about my, uh, my cameo on Screech Owls, the kids show? I, well, I wasn't, but I would. <laughs> you must've watched that. I, of course yeah. I know Screech Owls. Yeah. I don't even know that show. I believe it or not. It, I was uh, I was fishing with one of the the coaches on yeah. Screech Owls, yeah. and there was something a window had broke, but we had we had to get to the bite, so we were gone, and the kids thought that I got kidnapped or something. I don't even <laughs> remember, but anyways, yeah, I was on TV. I was doing what I love to do as a Northern Ontario kid. I had a fishing rod in my hand before I had a hockey stick, right. so I uh, I hosted full contact fishing for yes. a couple seasons, and where I'd take guys off the ice and uh, put them in a boat. And the fans got a chance to see Wendell Clark and Mike Gartner and yeah. Steve Larmer and uh, all these guys, you know, what, what in their you own. What year were this, been? Oh, geez, I don't know. I was still playing. So it was near the end. So it was in the late 90s. Uh, it's so funny. When I go to Winnipeg, I was the last captain of the Jets. Yeah. But more people know me for, for full, full contact, contact fishing. fishing than what I did. That's Mind you, fishing yeah. out there. Well, yeah. we've, you know, we've been talking about fishing and we'll, we'll touch a little bit on for it. For sure. Um, I didn't realize how big a fisherman Chris is, yeah, yeah. uh, and was, uh, because of his show. So we got to know each other over the years and working together. We've, we fish similar spots. So as we're, well. we're yeah. up at the French river. I didn't realize that we were just talking at yeah. our friend Leon up there had, had guided him out of Hartley Bay. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, with so. Cujo. Yeah. That's, that was the craziest show we've ever done. This was a part of full contact. Fishing. Yeah. Okay. So, so we, so, la- uh, we landed in, in, Right at the base, yeah. Right on the right on the water, and and we're in one of his big tinnies with the back tiller, and and he's going like ninety degree turn here and one eighty here, and yeah. Cujo's like hanging on, and Cujo's <laughs> not a fisherman, and and he and I said, Liam, what the hell? He goes, well, let me slow down, and he and like he's literally got four inches, and you guys know you live there yeah. on yeah. each side of these massive rock yes. ledges, yes, and that the you boat don't can see. just fit in there, and he's going full bore, yeah, like. He's one of the, he's been there forever oh and he's God. one of the few guys that can get dude. up and down that he, he's talking about the rapids, rapids going down oh, yeah. to Georgian yeah. Bay and he goes up and down that daily. I did yeah. want to say the French River uh, for the listener who doesn't know it's uh, it's in Ontario. Uh, it's off of Georgian Bay uh, in case you're unfamiliar with where it is. Actually a pretty storied history in the French River. Yeah. So uh, look that up if you're yeah. if you're watching on YouTube. Yeah. I, I know you and I both have uh a lot in common. So, with oh, the French River. You've got, we both, we got, both have over 50 inches. Over right? 50 inches. Mus- I yeah. see. I was going to qualify that by saying we both caught a bigger muskie than my dad. Bro. Yeah, I, I, that I, goes without saying. <laughs> Mikey's, Mikey's, I won't give the whole password away, but since he's a technician and none of the rest of the family know anything about the internet or, right. or all the techno, he sets our internet password at something. No, like, not the password, the, the ID for the, the internet. The ID. Mikey catches. Okay. The biggest, yeah, yeah, the biggest fish. There you that's go. fine. And no one's going to, oh, yeah, no yeah. one's going to park their boats outside of our island. They, they, well, would they still might need the now. Password. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> the guys that listen to this, mostly fishermen, they're not going to spend the time to try to figure that's it out. Fair. Either, that's right? fair. That's fair. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there was a fisherman last weekend pulled up beside us in the, in the narrows there. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm looking for phone service. Right. He said, what are you looking? Guy had a beard down to his uh, belly button. Yeah. He go, uh, what are you looking for phone service for? He says, I got to put my NASCAR bets. In. <laughs> <laughs> now I see who you hang out with. I yeah, love it. That just sounds like I need to be telling my wife we got to move a little farther north. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's nice to be away from some of that service. Uh, one thing, though, that uh, to talk about full contact fishing for a little bit that I'm very intrigued by is is actually how ahead of its time it was because 
nowadays, and I talk about this on the podcast a lot, I'm very interested in in uh, like the the Twitch element yeah. of, of NHL and getting to know the players and making sure they have personalities off the ice. Uh, and, and in a modern era, marketing is very much marketing yourself. Mitch right. Marner does a great job right. of this, for example. Uh, but you, back when you were doing full contact fishing, were already saying... You know what would be great is if the viewers got a chance to get to know their favorite hockey players off the ice, right? Uh, and that's not something that was very common back then. In fact, it was very ahead of its time. Was right. was this your idea to do full contact fishing, or did someone approach well, you about it? The show had been out there, and uh, uh, I'd been on the show as a as a guest a couple times, and then the host of the the, the fishing pro uh, wasn't able to finish the the one season. So they had contacted me and, and said, would you mind shooting three shows for us so we can finish our 13 for the year? And yeah. I said, absolutely. Yeah. Let's go to Bass Pro with a couple shopping carts and have <laughs> some fun. And I'm like, this is going to be great. That's awesome. And then, so we, uh, I knew a lot of people in the business uh, through my brother, through our family. And uh, I knew a lot of people through my time with the league because when guys would go, we'd go to Florida or California three quarters, if not 80% of the team would go golfing. Mike Gartner and I go fishing right. all the time because that's right. what we did. So I knew people that had lodges and different things. And, and uh, so they asked me if I'd do some more because I knew the contacts and we shot a whole nother season and uh, it went well. My wife didn't really care too much about it because <laughs> I was gone all winter and then gone all summer, but right. I just was having a great time. I bet. Right. But it really worked because you take the hockey player out of his comfort zone. Yes, absolutely. And put him in, in, a, in a boat like, Wendell, I, he likes to fish a little bit, but his show was great. We were up at his cottage there in Kingston uh, and with Kirk, and we were doing a show in the morning, show in the afternoon. And so I do it with Wendell. He's talking, doing the right thing. And then I'm with, with Kirk, and Wendell's in the boat beside us, sitting on the motor with a rod in his hand and a beer in the other. So <laughs> <laughs> we just had to kind of pan over to say, this is really what Wendell's all about fishing, right? So it, it was a lot of fun. That's we amazing. had a lot of fun. And, and you know what? We found out after we started doing a couple of shows, that's what the fans like. Absolutely. You know, it's they all like that the, personality. They like sitting on the picnic table after talking about all the fish we lost, right? Yeah. And yeah. so it, it was, I, I'm not teaching them how to rig a rod or what line and shit to yeah. use, pardon yeah. my French, no. but it, it, it's what, uh, it's what worked for us, and and it was well, that's what makes this show yeah, too a, a little yeah. bit. Is you're hearing things that you don't normally hear. Yeah, that's the fun part. Right. You can you can watch Sportsnet or TSN and, yeah. and listen to the guys analyze right. everything. To, we're here having some fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean there are a, a ton of other people who can talk hockey way better than than we can here. But but we that's not what we bring to the table. We like right. to talk about the the back end of sports, what happens off the ice, right. and and we get a ton of great stories uh, in that sense. And that's why, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I was so interested to talk about what your role now is as right. senior vice president of hockey operations. When I hear that. And I, I saw the, the 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 signature to your email uh, when you told me what the dress code was going to be for today's episode. You were going to be wearing jean shorts and a and a muscle shirt. Well, and it was just, raining. It's raining. So, That's yeah. it's, you're wearing that under the sweater, yeah, though. Of course. I, I hope, yeah, of course. I changed in Brian's office. <laughs> <laughs> but I was uh, I when I got that email and I saw that title in in your signature. It, it it's the kind of title you see and assume you're about to get fired. Like it is yeah. a very high sounding. Well, the day's title. not over yet. No, it's true. That's true. How am I doing? I, I won't wait till Coley hears this podcast. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. um, can you walk us through what what that means? What what right. what it is in your day to day? We know you're in the war room, right. as you mentioned, just about every right. night. Uh, but what, generally speaking, uh, is involved in that role? Well, let me set up what hockey ops is. Sure. Uh, Coley Campbell's been the head of hockey operations forever. Yeah. Uh, Coley was coaching with the Rangers. Uh, Brian Burke held a position before Coley. Uh, Burke, he wanted to get back with teams, and and uh, Gary Bettman had just become the commissioner. And talk to Colin and uh, Coley's done an unbelievable job. We're we're uh, we're a small group uh, for, for the keepers of the game is what a lot of people outside of our group calls us. Right, uh, we're in charge of everything. When you think of the game itself, officiating falls under our department. Uh, a lot of the over things that I oversee are the environment, the arenas, the boards, glass, everything from a safety aspect yep. for the players, the officials, the fans, uh, all that falls under, uh, hockey ops and, and personally my, uh, my area. Uh, we are in charge of, uh, the rules, the enforcement of the rules. What a lot of people attribute our job to is when they say they're going back to Toronto for yeah, video yeah. review. Yeah. Uh, generally when the ref comes over, puts the headset on, we hand them the iPad. 
90% of the time they're talking to me. I'm in Toronto. I've got the headset on. I'm behind our viewer who's assigned to that specific game. And we're sending him replays, getting him the opportunity to see it again. Because, I mean, you guys are huge hockey fans. Yeah. yeah. The game's so damn fast. Oh, the yeah. players are so big. They see it once. They make a call. And in most cases, believe it or not, they get it right. It's astounding how it's, often. It's, it's, it's incredible yeah. how good our guys yeah. are. And I'm not just saying this no. as, a, as, an, as a guy that's in charge of this group. As a player, they are amazing. Our referees are the best, I believe, in any sport because you, of the environment they work in. You know, there's no sidelines to run no, off no, of when course. players are going. We're, we're, we're right in there. We're in a little bubble and stuff's happening so fast and the puck's this big. I mean, it's it's incredible. Anyway, so, so video review is a big part of it. Uh, you know, because it's in Toronto now, the GMs wanted it there because the guys, whether it's Mike Murphy, myself, a guy, Rod Pazma, Kay Whitmore was a goal in the league, were involved in making those decisions each and every night, the entire season, and as long as we're doing video review and Coach's Challenge. Right. And Coach's Challenge we'll talk about because it was added a new layer uh, about four or five years ago. Uh, it's consistency they wanted. Mm-hmm. Because it used to belong to the video goal judge and every one of the 31, well, 32 buildings now, yeah. they had the final say. Right. Well, they work 20 games of the 42 or 41 games that are in that building. And we see everyone every night. So the way we rule on a Tuesday is going to be the way we rule on a Saturday. For sure. This is a kick. This is a high stick. This is goal interference. This is offside. Uh, so in that sense, it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Now, this is really challenged our IT department to stay up with technology. I bet. You know, we need the best cameras. We need the best looks. We need more frames per second, when, yeah. especially when we had that stupid foot in the air rule on offside. Oh, yeah. You know, that, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, to the point where we've changed the yes. rule just for Which coaches' challenge. Which I think was a great call, yeah. Absolutely. And we were pushing it for a while. But you also have to remember, Hockey Ops manages this part of it and rules, but we work for the owners. Right who entrust their presidents and their GMs to represent them. So whatever the GMs want, we enforce. Right. We didn't want coaches challenge. Yeah. And we remind the coaches when they piss and moan <laughs> that they didn't get the call, which I'm sure Brian, yeah, you yeah, can yeah, understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not our challenge. It's yeah. called coach. It's not called hockey ops challenge. Yes. It's called coaches challenge. You buggers wanted this. Exactly. Uh, but we feel we're in a pretty good spot. Now, listen, I'm not going to say for a second there wasn't growing pains. We overanalyzed this early that mm-hmm. we took a goal away from Matthews where it was absolutely should have counted. Same thing with uh, a game in uh, uh, on uh, McDavid and Edmonton, same night. We just got killed for it. But we had to kind of reshift, reshuffle, talk about it. We've got great uh, people we can lean on. We have a, a committee of GMs, players, owners, that we talk about the game, we get the players' input, and we're always trying to improve the game without changing what the game and what everybody loves about the game. Yeah, uh, me as a guy that played in the eighties, nineties, and those that had friends that played before us, and those that love the skill of the players today, the game is different. Yes, over decades, but it's still hockey, and we don't want to get too far away from yeah. what everybody loves about. So that. when you're putting a, a, you know, when they're deciding on a new rule. Um, and then, and then you've got to figure out, right. And, and sometimes you can't tell whether it's a good thing or a bad right. thing until you figure out the technology doesn't right. work as well as you want or how to get consistency down the line. So a lot of times an idea that comes into play is, uh, sounds good at the time, yeah. but isn't really tenable when yeah. you, when you, well, I, th- I think the, the offsides would have been a great example yeah. of that, yeah. you know, realizing how hey, often are you it's born in the States. Uh, no, Canada. Don't say offsides. <laughs> what, what? It's an offside. Offside. Oh, and, am I? Is am I getting that of them wrong? are offside. Offside. Yeah. Okay. And you know what? Off- some of the comments about the calls that the war room makes are also offside. Keep <laughs> yeah. it to yourselves, kids. Come on. Hey, I'm just trying to help you out <laughs> no, here. No, I don't I want you to get beat up by your buddies. <laughs> no, no. Uh, uh, I was wondering where that was going. But I was I like, holy cow. Yeah. Bite me here. I drove through traffic and now you're killing me. I had S's frivolously. It's You can call me Mikey's Aaronsworths. A lot of people have. But do you do you find the example I was giving was, you know, you want to, to institute this rule on offside and yeah. and it's it's amazing how often it came up that the right. player's skate was above right. the blue line although it was in the correct position right. so the rule has to change once again right. it's always going to be a constant uh, uh change back and forth sure. it's going to oscillate but i think 
I don't think there's a person out there who would argue that we're not better off right now for every night. If there's one bad call, there's probably six great calls and that are, that are keeping things on track. Now as a room, there's a lot of pressure on you guys. Absolutely. You mentioned some nights where, or one specific night where you, you, in your opinion, could have potentially gotten two calls wrong. Uh, and, and what you've done. I never you, said we got two calls wrong. <laughs> he, he, you did. I think what you were, your point was. saying other was, people might have thought. Oh, okay, right. okay, okay. Wrong. I'm kidding. Or, or We've made you, mistakes. It was <laughs> but I was off those nights. <laughs> yeah, no, there you go. yeah, yeah, yeah. Not your responsibility. Not your responsibility. How, how much pressure is on you guys to make a call? Is there always a thought in the back of your head that uh, if something goes wrong, we're taking this home with us? Or do you just complete, do you have the ability to completely shut that out? You know what? Let me try to paint the, paint the room here. Sure. I, I think it'll, I think it'll set up for not only you, but for everybody. So you walk into the video room in Toronto and we've got 500 inch TVs on the front wall. So behind you. Okay. Yeah. Over here, we've got two more hundred inch TVs because believe it or not, as soon as we add one more team, we add a lot more games. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, each one of those 100 inches can be split into four games. Right. So if we've got 11 or 12 games on, we're watching them all in Toronto. There's not one game that's not on TV anymore. Yeah. When I played, if there's 1,000 games, there's 500 on TV. Right, right. In SD, right? Yeah. Everything's grainy. Yeah. Everything's in HD now, 4K. I mean, it's hockey and golf are awesome, and, yeah. you know, today. Yeah. So we're watching them. So th- you literally walk up five stairs, both sides, it's a bridge. Mike Murphy's over on the left. I'm on the right. Rod Pasman's in the middle on the front of the big board where he can talk to the video goal judges by pressing a button in every building. Right. In front of us, where you are, there's a series of workstations that consist of four 50-inch TVs. And on one of those TVs, there's 14 camera angles that our viewer that's doing the uh, Leaf Carolina game can watch that game. He's making notes through the whole game on his computer through an NHL program that's built for us, which is mostly built for uh, uh, officiating. Okay. All those clips, there's a clip added to it as soon as he types anything in. So Stephen Wacom, head of officiating, can coach his officials. What would those notes be tracking? Good calls, missed calls. Okay. Uh, offside, challenges, penalties, goal, everything. Okay, okay. Because Stephen's brought... Not that the other guys didn't, but technology's allowed him to have a guy working in San Jose last night that may have missed two calls because of positioning. He can call him this morning and say, hey, Gordy, grab a coffee, have your iPod let's or your uh, laptop. Let's go over these three calls last night. Oh, wow. Open them up. Wow. Let's now, talk about it. Would that criteria be used to decide, you know, the level of the referees that you Ryan, have? the... The biggest part of a referee's year is being named to the Stanley Cup final team. Right. So they are graded on every game. Okay. They are now graded on every call. Wow. And and there's series managers, Bill McCreary, Paul Dvorsky, Don Van Massenhoven, uh, Rob Schick, guys that you remember that I that refereed me that work for Steven. Yeah. They go out and they watch, or they we have a retired guy in our room every night. That help us with these calls. Yeah. Help us with the uh, the rules. Help us with a the retired viewers. referee. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and it's worked really well. At first, we're like, eh, we don't want this guy in our room. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I can honestly say, Coley Mercer, we don't want this guy in our room. We yeah. know what we're doing. Yeah. But it's really worked well. And I think for the guys on the ice, when they talk to me, as I said, ninety percent of the time, yep. we're on the same page. Right. Because every call that's done that week is sent in an email every morning. On Monday, Steven sends out an email with a couple bullet points of what we saw. And here's all the coaches' challenges from last week. Here's all the video reviews. Right. Here's calls of the week. He's always building his group up. Yeah. Right. And uh, they're they're an interesting group. You know, it again, they make a call. One team thinks it's a great call, the other team thinks it's an absolutely crap call. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, so consistency getting back to when we talked about the room and why it happened yeah. was was so the same guys were involved in the decisions. And and to your point, and it was a great one, we have a rule change or somebody brings something to the group through the GM's meeting. The owners all have buddies that, right. you know, they sit in their box and they say, wouldn't it be great if you didn't have to touch the ice with your skate? So then it comes to the GM's, they bring it to us. We've been talking about it for years yeah. and we're trying to change it because yeah. even with the good cameras, you can't tell if that's silver no. blades on no. the ice. And those are the ones that you're sitting at home going, what? And does it even matter these, at that point? It doesn't right? matter because yeah, yeah. he's not involved in the play. Exactly. He's in full stride. Yeah. He has nothing to do with it. So 
believe it or not, offside has been the hardest part of coach's challenge wow. because everybody thinks you're either offside or you're right, not, right. but they didn't think about the tag up. And then the guy's in the zone, but he touches the line before the guy actually touches a puck yes. in the zone. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of people out there and our media included that don't get it. Yeah. And we've seen things. You think of all the guys, Coley played forever and worked forever. Murph played forever, worked forever. Jim Gregory, God rest his soul, been around hockey his whole life. We'd see things every other week that we'd never seen before. Yeah. Right. Well, what it's about crazy. Kachuk just recently? Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know if you guys saw this, oh, but I saw puck was it. Going, I was I'm there. sure you would have seen it. Yeah. Uh, puck going out of the of the rink over the boards. Yeah. He's sitting on the bench uh, out of play. Obviously, yeah. he's on the bench yeah. and he raises his stick and stops the puck from going over right. the glass. So did it go over the boards to avoid, or yeah. it didn't go over the glass, so there's no delay of game, but yeah. he interacted with the play yeah. as someone who is off. And, and so got, yeah. that's where you, that's where you expand on the gray in the rule book yes. and make the right call. <laughs> exactly. Right? But- there's no black and white rule there, but our officiating group gets together. They talk about it. And, you know, we can't officiate from Toronto. Right. We can help with reviews and challenges and high sticks now. Uh, we can put the referee on the headset and the and show them kick pucks and stuff yep. before. Because we need them to make a call on the ice. Will you? We have them? nowhere to work from unless they call goal or no goal. You right. know what I mean? Right, right. So if we're going to overturn them, we can't overturn this. Right. I don't like, know. What am I yeah, yeah, overturning? Yeah. Right. Uh, and that's that's been a really important part of our job. But we can have arguments. Yeah. But the referees thought they had the final say when this all came about. And the general manager says, no, no, no. I want the four guys that do this every night right. to have the final say. So in the, in the beginning, we had some conflicts. Right. Because the referees, and I would have been the same had I been raising my hand for 20 years in the league, like Billy McCreary, Hell's Kinger in Toronto telling me I'm wrong. Right. Right. But Billy made cup calls in real time seeing it once. Yes. Now we have the ability to show them slow motion, frame by frame. Here you go. You know what? What you thought you saw really didn't happen. Yeah. Well, and, they're, also, and they're better now. Like they get, they just, they just want the, the game to be called right. For sure. I that, can imagine you know? that. I mean, I could imagine not wanting to give away that, that control or the, I can imagine some referees taking it personally as though and, we're and saying you're, there's you're, still some, of there's course. an element of course, but at the same time, I mean, TV doesn't lie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like you can, you can miss a call and hear about it for months. I got, I'd love to read you a text from David Poyle when, you know, uh, uh, he thought there was, should have been a whistle or okay. shouldn't have been a whistle. They scored a goal. Uh, one of our referees killed the play. The puck was laying beside that. They shot in and they lose a the game by a goal. Right. And they would have won the game. They would have been a tied series. They end up losing that game. And they, was it Pittsburgh? Nashville? Anyways, they lose a the cup. Yeah. David just can't get over it. I see him now today. Yeah. <laughs> it's like seven years ago. He can't get over it. You oh, know? This, that was but Pittsburgh Nashville. I, yeah. I think I remember yeah. that one specifically. It, it, actually. But yeah. you, you, you're so invested in it. Yeah. You live it. And David might not get another chance. This was his chance. And, uh, you know, Laviolette's text me as I'm going home. We're just trying to get out of the <laughs> ring. You know, this was horseshit call, you know. But so to your point, yeah, like you make tough calls. Right. You make really tough calls. And, a lot of the time, the tougher calls are in the playoff when they're, they're so much more magnified. And thing that's helped us with some of these calls, the coach's challenge is the penalty for being wrong. And right. not just, it used to be you just had to have a timeout. Right, out. right. But really, that's no deterrent. Yeah. Because sometimes guys were calling just to give their team a rest. Yes. You know what I mean? Because it's more than the 45 seconds you get for normal timeout. Yep. They do a coach's challenge, you're getting two or three minutes, right? Right. So now if you're wrong, A, the goal counts and now you're killing a penalty. It's yeah. a two goal swing yep. usually. So that's part it, of the adjustment. Yeah. We and that's about. your point. Right. We, 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 we thought this was enough and then we lived it for a year and we go, this, this is crazy. Yeah. Let's put the penalty on it. We yep. did it for offside first. Now it's for goalie interference. And you know, your point about trying it, we try different rules in the American league for periods of time before we bring them to our Testing league. it out. Yeah. We try them in the exhibition. Uh, you look at foot in the crease rule. Yes. Uh, you might be too young to no, remember, I remember that. No, I remember foot in the crease rule, yeah. That, that was the craziest rule ever. Yes. And Coley oh, took over from Ryan and said- all about that. We're, <laughs> we're going to ask Lindy Ruff about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're, we're going to have to change things because the game changes and, and history changes things. But 
when there's guys like Coley and Murph, and again, Jimmy Gregory, Lou Lamorello, yep. Kenny Holland, they're going to maintain the game that we all love yeah. as much as we can. Listen, today's athletes, I'm looking over your shoulder at Sid and Marner, and I mean, Sid's an old man, and Matthews, but these guys change the game. Yes. Not the not us. Right. Not the GMs. Not the owners. Everyone else is trying you to just keep up. We adapt. We to have it to adapt it. to how good this guy is. Right. How fast and the how game fast is. he is. Yeah. And and you know we can control things by over. We we have an oversight on equipment. Right. Like if somebody's going to develop a stick that has everybody shooting the puck twenty kilometers an hour faster, we're yeah. not letting that in the game. Right. Right. Because of safety. Right. I oversee that too, so I I have to clear all new equipment. Well, you you had a pretty big hand in the uh, in the skate guards as well, right? Uh, the the plastic skate guards that that went well, over. It was the the equipment manager in Detroit who had initially come to you about there potentially were, getting that. There over. was a heated blade. I think you're talking about yeah. at one time. The, I'm talking about the skate guards, the the plastic guards that go on the skates. No, I that's a little before my time, but okay. everything now. But yeah, you're right. I mean, you're talking about tube skates to the other. Yeah. Uh, well, no, I, it was, it was a Toronto star article about, uh, the, the Oh no, you're talking about the actual the, foot protection. The, yeah, the protection. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. I mean, typically a, a, a company would like, we have four big companies and don't have to name them that make most of our equipment, right. but there's other little people out there that yeah. want to have a piece of the NHL. And so this guy developed a, a boot that went over your boot yes. because guys shoot the puck so damn hard and everybody wants to block shots. Now they teach exactly. that. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. So we had to make sure that these things weren't going to blow up and yeah, crap yeah. all over the ice yeah. and which we found out they did. So yeah. we made them make better ones. And yeah, so we're always trying to protect our players as best we can. It doesn't help us at the league to have Sid or Mitch sitting in the crowd watching games. Exactly. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, that that's all part of it. Like it's, it's, uh, it's the encompassing part of the game. It's, and it feels, you know, people, you know, we talk about the, the benefits of hockey and how, how it, it's, it's very, uh, uh, forward thinking in terms of developing character. But I think because of that, probably for the same reasons why it develops good, good people, people with a lot of heart, people also take it very personally when the quote unquote tradition of the game is changed. I think baseball is probably pretty similar to this, but any rule change is like, well, hang on. It's been written in stone. This is the way it's supposed to go. So I imagine that someone in your position has to deal with a lot of contention between you know, the referees, yourselves, the players, the managers, right. everyone is trying to protect their idea of what hockey is when from your perspective, and I think it's probably the right one, uh, is that this game evolves with time. Right. And it can't just be what it was before the slap shot was right. even a thing. Right. You know, it's going to change. Um, is is it always kind of in the back of your head with every rule change, every equipment change, the politics that are going to go into getting everyone on board with? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and let me let me let me go bigger picture. Have you guys been to Vegas for a game yet? I haven't yeah. seen a game yeah. there, no. no. So, yeah. you know where this is going. Like, our biggest struggle now to maintain the game is game presentation. Oh. Because everybody goes to Vegas because Vegas is fun, but they also want to see their show, their pregame show. Right, their right. Their mission shows because nobody does it in the league better. And, and they've taken Vegas and put it in an arena. And... And it worked right away. I saw and Imagine it, Dragons there. Yeah, as a pre exactly. pregame show. Wow, yeah. the hell! Yeah, and we and we fought with them about stage on the ice. Right, my Dan Craig, who is retiring next week, our ice guy, he's losing his mind because there's metal pegs on his ice, you know, and it's a playoff <laughs> game. But we're we're trying the integrity of the playing conditions for our players, right? But so now I just get back from Seattle. Uh, I was going to ask about right? that. That would have been. They hired all the number two people from Vegas. And my son, ironically enough, is the head ice guy. So mom and I, Paul and I flew out for his first game. You yeah. know, some of these guys, their kids are playing in the league. You know, right. they were NHL pros and they show Louis DeBrusque and his wife sitting up there watching <laughs> Jake. Yeah. You know, they didn't show Paul and I standing in the Zamboni watching our son move a net. <laughs> but we we're as proud as he was. Of you course. know what I mean? Of course. But they've got this horn when they score. That oh. <laughs> <laughs> knock a submarine out of the ocean yeah, like it's, yeah. it's this old fishing bell and right but they've got the light show they've got the ice guys they wanted to put tentacles and all the ice shovels my son's like yeah can't do that we got to get the ice or the snow off the of ice. course so everybody wants to entertain yeah and the team wants to have a great lineup to entertain through hockey but the game press people 
They're paying big money for tickets. Yeah. They want to give them the best show they can so they keep coming back. So your point to you have to evolve. Some don't like it. Yeah, yeah. But listen, that's that's the business. It's yeah. a business. It's a huge business. And you have to do your part to try to make sure everything kind of works together, which we do with our outdoor games and our big events. You know, I, I run I, those for us as well. I oversee all that. And my job with those is making sure that all of our departments get along nice. Yes. Yeah. Because I can be the guy that comes in and he's the, is the bad guy because I have the game in my pocket. You, you and I would have a lot in common there. My, my dad being the uh, the marketing person at Frameworth and always having the new ideas and, and right. where where the company should be going. You know, he has he an idea. He does a hell of a job. And he does a fantastic right. job at that. Uh, it's a lovely job. At that. I, I love, <laughs> lovely job. I, you know what? Next time, next time. You're you never come. using that word again. <laughs> Kind of stuck this in my crawl when Brian, you said that. This is too. a lovely river. Yes. This is a lovely cottage. Hey, that's uh, I, I'm I'm from now on. You may have canonized that yeah. introduction. You know what? I, I know we're probably getting short on time, uh, but there's a couple of things I wanted to cover too. Uh, one, what a great guy! And I don't even know if you know this, but I was in Pittsburgh one time. We were down there for a playoff game. I think Judd over at CAA. I said, "Look, my family." big Pittsburgh fans are driving down. I flew in ahead of time to do something with Sid. And, um, and I said, look, I've got three tickets. I need two more, the f- or uh, three, whatever it was three. And I need two more. And he, Oh no, no problem. No problem. Sydney, Sydney's agent or assistant or whatever. So I get a call. I'm down there and I, I phone. Well, did you get the tickets? Oh, I'm having a bit of a problem. I'll let you know. I said, well, they're on their way down in the car. Right, I right. got, I've got to go to StubHub or something. I got to find tickets for the, they're not coming all the way down. And three of us are going to the game and two aren't. So, um, so I, now I'm shitting myself because I'm, I'm thinking, how am I going to get these tickets? And it was a tough ticket. To yeah, get. it was. I'm sitting at, uh, the city grill there and, uh, having a steak at the bar. There's no seats in the place. I got a tap on the shoulders. It's Kinger. Yeah. Hey, how you doing? What do you? Oh yeah, oh I just came down. I told him the story. My family's coming down. He says, "Well, I and I told him we were having a hard time getting the tickets, and I didn't know what I was going to do." And he said, "Well, don't do anything yet. Next day at noon, I still don't have tickets for that night's game. I get a, and I'm at the having lunch at another place. And I get a phone call from him. Got you two tickets. <laughs> Some of our guys didn't show, and we know each other, knew each other back then." A little bit, but you know, for him to go out of his way and do that, that's part of that personality that I really appreciate. What a lovely thing to do for us. You still haven't paid me for him, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Were they for you? Um, (laughs) No, so they, so we went as a family, and what a great night that was. They didn't win that game, right? But then I went home the next day, and then I think the next game was in San Jose, and uh, I get a call from Troy Crosby, and he says, Hey, why don't you come down? I said, fly down. My wife was a flight attendant at the time. So maybe I will. Mm-hmm. She said, go ahead, go, go to San Jose, see the game. I go down there. We meet each other at the airport. Uh, we're going, I think we flew into San Francisco. Yeah. Hey, I've got a car rental. I'll, I'll drive you down there. Yeah. And he went out of his way to take me to the small town outside of San Jose. That's amazing. The, the hotel was in, that was, it was me and my buddy, Wes. Wes. That's thank right. you. That's right. And, and we talked the whole, and we kind of solidified a, a, a solid friendship at that point. But one of the things that I was privy to, which I hadn't uh, done before, John McDermott is mutual yep. friend. Uh, so I'm going he's to the been game. On the podcast as yeah, well, yeah. John, John was on a number of weeks ago and uh, I'm going to the game with him. He says, meet me in the lobby. He says, we're going to do something special. And he had some other friends with him. And all of a sudden he says, we're going up to see the war room before the game. Oh, that's fantastic. And we got it. Chris was great enough to give us a tour though. And it was an amazing place. Like, it blew me away. Yeah. Screens everywhere, people all at desks and watching monitors already. And and that blew me away. But what was more interesting is what I've just learned from, from this podcast, which is I'm amazed at all the other things that go on. I, you know, everybody hears the war room and they just think, well, this is hockey operations and, right. and they just right. watch right. video reviews right. all day. I had no idea the scope of what you do. And and you just got back from Seattle to do the inspection on the rink to make sure it's all safe. Right. Those things, rule changes, analyzing the referees, all this stuff that came out, I had no idea. Yeah. 
Uh, I think the only other podcast that I learned more about was Gus, but or, or as much as it's, Gus Vidalis, where I had no idea how he came to. And this one, what you guys do yeah. behind the scenes, it's funny because half halfway through, I was like, <laughs> we haven't talked about operations at all, and I I could I could fill another hour with well, this, so we'll have to we'll get maybe you back we'll do that again at some yeah. point, yeah. yeah, or get you up to the room once COVID allows it. Oh, yeah. that yeah. would be yeah. I that that yeah, would be like that. You know what we yeah. could talk a lot of operations is is in a fishing boat. Oh, you know, hey, you know that's where that I do. That's where I do my best talk. <laughs> that's right. Have I showed you the picture of the muskie? Yeah. Live, live. We're going to show that. We're going to get that. You want to see a muskie? For those of you that don't yeah. fish, this is the this is the the fish you want to freshwater yeah. fish you want to catch. Still shaking, and it was last fall. Yeah, yeah. You don't forget those ones. There's those. certain things like I scored. I'm going to say scored a lot of goals. I scored some cool goals. Right? Yeah, but there's nothing like when you're pulling in a big muskie like it's, that. It's it's. I mean, you wicked, and I would you man. and I would know that. Yeah. Uh, we'll show you a we'll, picture. Of, <laughs> we'll try to explain it to you, Brian. Yeah, yeah if yeah. you're watching, yeah, these two guys have caught the 50 plus. He's inch that muskies. guy that always loses one. But I, I had one and did. the net broke. But other than that, um, we're gonna we're gonna do that. We'll send, put a picture of this if you're watching on YouTube. We'll Absolutely, get a picture of that fish and uh, and we'll try and get Chris back at some other point because there's so much more to I talk could, about. We could, we could fill a whole other hour. Uh, we're running a little bit low on time. I did want to mention, because we uh, were talking about at the top of last episode, about uh, some of the iTunes reviews that you guys have been sending in, and we're going to be collecting some of those and eventually sending out some giveaways. But uh, not every week there's going to be a giveaway, but we do want to point to some nice ones that we received. Uh, 100 years via Apple Podcast. Stick taps for a one-of-a-kind podcast. If you're passionate enough, autograph collector. This is a can't-miss must listen podcast. I consider myself knowledgeable collector who un- understands the business and I learn something new every episode. Tree picks via Apple podcast. Brian and Mikey have a great show. Well, thank you very much. As an entrepreneur, it's really great to one. get a peek behind the curtain of a sports marketing business and hearing the highs and lows of running a business. Also, the guests bring on have stories that blow my mind. Uh, uh, thank you so much. It goes on from there. Uh, so if you have any reviews, make sure to get onto iTunes or whichever platform you're listening. Give us a review. We're going to be choosing some of those probably once a month or so to send out some giveaways and we'll be announcing which which ones those are and and, uh, and and who knows we may mention you on the podcast as well uh chris thank you once again this for joining great. us this is really phenomenal. enjoyed it that time flew by it really it does it's you know the first 10 15 minutes uh, it, it's always you're, you're kind of just gauging everything getting used to it and then you just hit slipstream right. and and, right. and it goes from there so can't wait to get you back on Absolutely. if you're willing at a different time maybe we'll do it live from a fishing boat and we can teach my dad how uh, how to catch that big yeah we set this point. up uh, up north on the french river that we could be, be do super. we could be doing these shows and a little bit of uh sideline fishing hey yeah. I, I like that i like that a little bit of this, fishing this sounds like retirement plan <laughs> well you know what? <laughs> we gotta talk mikey we, we, we're now moving into starlink so there you go we, we have terrible internet up there for the most part and so it, it's tricky to work from yeah. up there but now with the starlink elon thing, musk has it. saved us with starlink there so you um, anything you anything you want to plug any anything you're working on beyond uh beyond the operations job you were just explaining no you know what it just hockey seasons listen I, i'm very fortunate to to work in this great game as i said many times i think you can tell i love the game of hockey but i love the people i meet through the game of hockey and uh you know you guys are, are part of it and and uh I feel very fortunate to have been able to call this game uh, my life. And uh, I don't know how much longer it'll be. I guess we should have my wife on here and she'll tell you guys how much longer I'm working. But uh, I just feel very fortunate to be part of such a great game. Well, we're glad to have you in the war room knowing that you're looking after the game that we all know and love and bringing it into the modern era. It means a lot. Uh, once again, uh, for Chris King, Brian Aaron with President of Framework Sports Marketing, I am Mike Aaron with host of the Sign Off Podcast. And this is us signing off. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we made it to the end of yet another episode. Thanks again so much for joining us. You can find videos of all of our episodes on YouTube by searching the Sign Off Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Frameworth Sport or Instagram at Frameworth Sports. And hey, if you're not sick of me yet, you can find me on Twitter over at, at Retrograde Mikey. Or you can always find me embarrassing myself over on Instagram at Aaronworth. The Sign Off is a proud product of Fadu Productions and Sad Styles Productions, executive producers Mikey Aaronworth and Andrew Bascom. Until next week, this is Mikey Aaronworth, signing off. Furnished by Sad Styles Productions. Get into it!